0: Wild Card Game 2 instant reaction. Rays lose one nothing on an Oscar Gonzalez solo home run in the bottom of the 15th inning. The Guardians win the series 2 to nothing. They advance to the ALDS to play the Yankees and the Rays season is over. It was a, a beautiful day for the Rays pitching staff, giving up just the one run, working into the 15th, um, but a, a horrendous day for, for the Rays offense facing Tristan McKenzie and a bunch of other Cleveland relievers. And uh, just like that, the season is over. Um, ben, just focusing on, we can go big picture in a little bit, but just focusing on this game as a whole, I don't know. To me, it felt like there were no adjustments at the plate. There was zero plate discipline. And that's something that even when the Rays have had a down here, offensively, they've been, you know, that's something they can usually hang their hat on is, is, is good plate discipline. But what were your thoughts, Ben on the, on the offensive output or lack thereof. So I know like, you know, Chad Matola.
1: I was listening to his interview with Solon's the other day, like the, the post-season preview interview, whatever. And he was talking about how, you know, you don't want to tell the guys to do too much because um, then it's, you got so many things going around in your head. You don't want to tell them, oh, you have to do this with your swing or you have to do this and all that stuff. So I understand, you know, not wanting to mess with their heads too much, but, I was kind of hoping the players would kind of make their own adjustments, but it, it didn't really look like they did. I mean, the Guardians have a great pitching staff. Don't get me wrong, but, um, yeah, I
0: don't know. It's 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 pretty unfortunate, though. It was. It was. And there were some chances late, I think particularly getting runners on the corners with less than two outs and then not, not cashing in on that. Um, you had Wander Franco get out on the bases. Right, I think he made the right move trying to hold up Oscar Jimenez. Who is attempting to turn a double play, but then not being able to get into second base safely, uh, which was disappointing. Um, Brian, we, I want to get your take on this too. Obviously disappointing, um, but how are you feeling right now? Um,
2: I wish I had more good things to say. Um, I I don't I don't have a ton. I mean, really, just echoing what you guys uh, were saying. I just think there were no no. No plate discipline. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the box score right now, you know, and, and granted this was a, you know, 15-inning game, but uh, at least two strikeouts from Mejia, Walls, Ramirez, Rosarena, Diaz, five strikeouts and six at-bats from Jose Siri. It's just, just a, a, a lack of adjustments being made. Um, but, again, I don't want to be too doom and gloom. I want to talk about uh, Garrett Clevenger for a second because, oh, my goodness. Um he was absolutely incredible, um, coming in, striking out the side, having some emotions in there too. Um, I just, I just wanted to highlight one positive thing that I saw from the game. Derek Cleavinger was absolutely incredible.
0: I mean, I mean, yeah, I think the entire pitching, like everybody who came in. I mean, even Kluber he gave up the one home run to Oscar Gonzalez. So I think he, he's, he's a rookie that I've been really into this year. Um, Cole Mitchum talked about him in our preview podcast how he might have a big impact in this series, and he had the biggest impact of all, the walk-off that clinched the series victory for Cleveland. So, um, yeah, I I, I think this series went – I'm not saying anyone expected this game to go 15 innings, um, but this series went about the way everyone expected it to. You know, low scoring, really good pitching, some good defense. We saw a lot of good defense on the Cleveland side today. And ultimately, um, it was going to take one or two big hits. There were three run-scoring events in this two-game series, and they were all home runs. You had two solo shots and then a two-run homer from from Jose Ramirez. So it's not like the Guardians tore the cover off the ball. Um, They did what they had to do, and and ultimately that was enough to win the game. But I think a lot of credit goes to their pitching staff as well when you're looking at, at organizations that are always towards the top in terms of pitching development the type of staffs they put together. You're looking at at the Rays, the Guardians, the Astros, the Dodgers, those types of organizations. And so it's no so shock to see that, yeah, we talk a lot about the Rays bullpen and how great they can be, uh, but Cleveland's got just as good, if not a better bullpen. And you saw like Pete Fairbanks today, who I think we probably all penciled in as the Rays' best reliever going into this series, just didn't have it. And whether that was an injury or something else, he, he didn't have it. So uh, all of the Guardians relievers did um there there was no i think i think series was the only extra base hit as well i don't think we had a couple you know a few other runners in the scoring position i don't know if we had another double um but but ultimately it's like okay say you did win this game say you, you brought that run into the top of the 15th and you shut him down in the bottom half i mean you're working with jeffrey springs and now a more taxed bullpen in game three you're facing cal Quantrill, another quality starter I mean, there's no evidence that the Rays' offense was suddenly going to break out of this slump on, on Sunday, whenever that game would have been played. Um, and, and beyond that, so you win that game, you think you can match up with the offenses of that, like that of the, the Blue Jays or the Mariners or the Yankees, or the Astros, whoever you face, you know, you face the Yankees in the DS and then whoever you get in the CS. Um, it just didn't feel like this was a team that had enough offensive prowess to um, make a deep run like we've seen. In, in previous years. So um, disappointing, but ultimately not surprising. Your best hitter um, was, was on the IL, Brandon Lau, who I know fans always talk about how, how great Brandon Lau is in the postseason. but you know, look, look at what Randy Rosarena did, right? What, what, what happened in 2020 doesn't equal what happened happens in future years. So um, not having Brandon Lau in that lineup hurts. Having David Peralta, who was your big offensive trade deadline acquisition, only had Mm. one at-bat in the postseason, that hurts. Whether that's because he was hurt or for another reason, Mm. I'm not really sure. I know he had a hip injury, but um, managerially, either Ben or Brian, were there any decisions in terms of how the bullpen was deployed or how the substitutions were deployed um, by Kevin Cash today that you guys would not even necessarily criticize, but you think at least are, are open for discussion?
2: Um, I thought the pitching change in the ninth inning was a little over managey. Um, I think who did they bring in Rayleigh with like two outs? Uh, no, sorry, sorry. It was Clevenger with two outs in the ninth after Rasmussen was, was pitching pretty well. Um, I, I mean, I understand they wanted to get the, the matchup there, but it just, I don't know, it, it felt a little over to me. Um, it ended up working out because, like I said, I mean, Cleavenger was just incredibly dominant with the, the hitters that he did face. Um, but the the pinch hitting for Walls, I thought was strange, unless he was going to lay down a bunt, which he I, I think he attempted the first pitch and then like popped it straight up foul. Let's and, talk about that. Ended up, ended up
0: striking out. Let's talk about that. Walls attempted bunt because he did attempt on the first pitch. But if you're going to bring in a guy just to bunt, which is a questionable decision. Within itself to only have him attempt and like you get one strike and now the bunt call is off. I thought that was strange because Walls isn't a great hitter to begin with, but you have him down in the count L1, it's not like the chances of him reaching base or moving a runner over get any higher. And so, that specific not not necessarily the decision to bring Walls in, although I question that, having him only bunt on that first pitch when he fouls it off, like first off, you got to get it down, like that's on the player. Secondly, to, to not bunt again on Oh one, one Felt strange, but yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure the right move was to pull Paredes out of that game, who in his first two plate appearances looked really good, looked really really comfortable at the plate.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, to your point, yeah, I, I thought the I thought the only reason to pinch hit walls there was to have him bunt, and like you said, I don't know if that's really a great decision either. Uh, it's because you know the the run expectancy of bunting a runner over to second base, you know, it isn't it, is negligible when it comes to having a runner on first with no out. so um just yeah super strange and then he ended up striking out anyway um so he essentially just did nothing yeah i was
1: the the decisions that i was not confused about but want to know more about are the are the not i don't want to say base running decisions but like not sending guys like your offense is struggling um i just felt like they would have sent more runners like i know they did steal one base but there were a couple other opportunities where I feel like they could have been more aggressive trying to take second on a steal, but I mean, it is what it is. It's, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I feel like they they definitely could have capitalized
0: on that a little bit more. And the the other key moment, and this is just from watching it, but you have you have runners in the corners uh, with two outs and Manuel Mar go up and a ball is hit hard down the line. Ramirez does well to field it, but then an amazing throw to get down the line. Josh Naylor has to pick it. There was a question of whether or not he kept his foot on the base. Chris Prieto, the first base coach, was pretty emphatic in saying that his foot was off the base. Clearly he's in like an emotional, like high intense situation. Biased, of course. Um, I thought it was off the base too, but no one would have a better view of that than either Chris Prieto or uh, the first base umpire. They reviewed it, didn't overturn it. Uh, But like Manuel Margot, before his injury – easily beats that out and I don't know if it's just it's going to take some time or maybe his speed will never return like he's getting to the age where guys typically don't get any faster and take a pretty serious knee injury that happened this season and it makes sense that he's not at the same speed that he was but that's something I'm really used to him beating out if he beats that out that's a run like the Rays pr- probably win the game uh, we don't know how everything else would play out but it would put you know nobody else scored a run until the 15th so it would have put them in, in a great situation. And so, if you've got Manuel Margot and David Peralta both on your roster, and they're both you know if they're both not a hundred percent, in a three game series, I have a real hard time justifying having them both on that roster. Um, Peralta, we knew was dealing with a hip injury. He didn't get a single start in the postseason. And I'm sorry, like I know you hope it gets better by the end of the series, but this is only three days long. You have Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If you're not a hundred percent for one or two of those games. You should not be on the roster. I know you probably take a pretty big hit going back to Josh Lowe, but I want healthy players on, on this roster, especially if you know Manuel Margot probably isn't the same player he was before the injury. It just felt like maybe it was wishful thinking, including Peralta, and hoping that he'd get healthy by Sunday maybe, because I I was pretty sure he would start today. I thought him and Paredes were going to come into the lineup, but um, Paredes did get the start, and, and Margot was left off the bench. Anything else you guys want to touch on in the game? I do want to get to some listener comments and questions here shortly, but Brian and Ben, anything else you guys want to mention? Yeah, real quick, um, I did see a tweet.
2: It was by, I I can't speak to that particular run of that play in question with uh, Margot, but um, Homan, uh, who's one of our writers, uh, put out a tweet talking about uh, the decline of Margot's sprint speed over the last few years. And I think he's gone from like the 87th percentile or something like that, to like the 65th percentile um, this year in 2022. So, again, I can't speak to that one particular run, but he's he's essentially, you know, a little bit above average sprint speed at this point.
0: Right, yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah, I, th- um, I saw that too. I thought that was interesting. And just um, a point about the offense here before you go into the the comments. Um they really have like good hitters. Like, this, is, this is a good team, and it's just really unfortunate that they got cold when they really didn't need to. So it sucks. They still have good hitters. They're still a good team. Um, I, I don't think Cash is going anywhere. I know there's been some pretty intense reactions in this past, like what, like 20 minutes since the game ended, 30 minutes? Um, but, yeah, it just sucks. This, this whole thing sucks right now. So that's Ooh. my
0: comment. What I'll say on that is, you, you you look at what the moves were made last off season, and there was a lot of hope that your your group of young players, not including Wander Franco, but looking on the position player side at Taylor Walls, the Dalbruhan, and Josh Lowe would all come up at various points in the season. Josh Lowe and Taylor Walls started the year with the big league team, and would contribute. They were all highly regarded prospects for different reasons. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, I, am, I am pleased with Walls. I, I think Walls is what he is, and I think he'll be back next year. Um, but Josh Lowe had a very disappointing big league run. Vidal Bruhan, I don't want to blame him because he never got that, like, consistent – like, he never got that really good, consistent set of opportunities. Um, he was back and forth between AAA a bunch. He kept hitting really well at AAA, playing really well, and it just never really carried over to the big league level. He did have a hit late in today's game. Um, stole a base so I think he stole a base um, but it's it, it, it felt like when you, you have an offseason where you lose Austin Meadows and Joey Wendell um, obviously Nelson Cruz who was kind of an underwhelming acquisition last year there was a there was just a hope that the rookies and the young players will be good enough to get you there we did have the acquisition of Isak Paredes, Harold Ramirez in the regular season that worked out really really well those guys um, were, were good enough to to get you to the point where he win 86 games and, and get to the wild card round. And that's exactly what the front office tells us. The goal is every year. They, they, they don't say the goal is to win a world series. They say the goal is to get back to the postseason and have a chance to win the world series. Well, that's what happened. I don't think any of us should be surprised that uh, this team that weren't like, obviously there was the pursuit of Freddie Freeman. Yes, that would be great. It didn't happen. And uh, it didn't happen. And this is the team you put together. This is the team that you trusted to uh, pick up the most wins possible. And it just wasn't good enough. So I think, again, I'm not calling for any rash decisions, not calling for heads to roll. I do think though, it's time for the front office and the coaching staff to, to take a long look in the mirror um, and figure out what needs to change. And it doesn't have to be major changes, but they need to be key changes. And Chad Matola again. Like I don't know. I don't exactly know what the role. I don't sit in the clubhouse. I don't, you know, go to BP. It felt like down the stretch, I and mean, in these two games specifically, there was no change in approach at the plate when the approach clearly wasn't working. You had guys swinging at, at breaking balls off the plate, just no plate discipline. Um, so something had to change there, and I'm not sure why it didn't. You've got professional hitters guys that were just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Francisco Mejia swinging at pitches at his head, swinging at pitches that bounce before the, before the plate. Um, Randy Rosarena's plate discipline. Like, he gets trigger-happy, it, it, it goes downhill quickly for him. Harold Ramirez, it's kind of his game. Um, but when, again, you're in the postseason, and these opposing pitching staffs and the pitching coach can really hone in on how to attack each hitter on a roster. You're not in the middle of a 162-game season. Each game means that much more, and they have more time to focus on it. It feels like this Rays lineup was really easy to pick apart. And uh, ultimately, I think there's a reason why that's part of the reason why you played uh, 24 innings in the postseason and you scored one run on a solo home run. Um, so, Brian, Ben, anything else? I, I've got a pretty big queue up here lining up for people trying to chime in for a bit, but I want to kind of defer to you guys first. Yeah, uh, I
2: think like when it comes to the offense this year and this 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 may be a hot take but I think uh I think the Rays front office and their willingness to you know trade anyone and everyone if the offer is right really kind of really kind of bit them this year with how you know mediocre the offense was to I mean to put it charitably um I am still scratch, scratching my head as to why the team felt the need to trade Austin Meadows. Um, I like Isak Paredes, but I think like he he along the same lines as Ramirez and Mejia and you know Siri. It's you know all these guys just with you know just a lack of approach, and that was just so exploited in these in these in these uh, in these last two games. Um, and you know. Austin Meadows last year wasn't the same guy as he was in 2019 when he had like a 140, you know, WRC plus. Um, but I think him and maybe a healthy Brandon Lau and even maybe and even and even a Joey Wendell who's like by and large a league average hitter, maybe a shade above. Uh, he didn't have a good year this year in Miami, but it adds length to this lineup where it just wasn't it just wasn't there in this postseason. I don't think like I didn't I didn't see. I didn't see a challenging part of this lineup anywhere in these last two games. I didn't think to myself, Oh, these three hitters are going to are coming up. Something's going to happen this inning." I didn't think that at any point.
0: Yeah. Uh, Brian, I mean, just go, ahead. To, go ahead,
1: Ben. Oh no. Uh, I was just going to say, just to piggyback on that, what Brian was saying, I think, you know, I don't, I didn't not like the front offices approach to like selling high on guys, but I think they're going to want to think twice a little bit more going forward because, We've seen that rookies just aren't that good and young players typically aren't that good. So if you're trusting Taylor walls to take over the Joey Wendell role, you might want to curb your expectations a little bit. So I, I think we're going to see them be just a little bit more careful, hopefully um, in trading away proven talent that, you know, we know what their floor is and you know what you're going to get on a daily basis where, as opposed to some of the rookies and, um, you know young guys you don't really know they might go into uh an over 36 or whatever Aranda is in right now like it's just so hard to to predict so you know with guys like manzardo and mead coming up i think the front office might want to be a little bit more careful before they think about even parting with Dimon choy like you know what you're going to get with him and who else who, who can you trust you know it's it's going to be a t- it's tough decisions and i'm glad i don't have to make them but it's fun to speculate on them so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the front office and this offseason kind of undervalued proven major league uh, commodities. You know, you look specifically talking about Meadows and Wendell, and I, I'm not going to try to uh, retcon, like, my own views on the Meadows trade. I was pretty happy about it. I was never the biggest Meadows fan, um, but then they're, like, not – like, you, you went out and got David Peralta at the deadline, which is, like, okay – how different uh, like from an offensive profile is he from a Joey Wendell and how, like, I guess he's a probably a better defensive player than Austin Meadows. Um, but he, he didn't hit a single home run in a Rays uniform. And it just felt like, Oh, remember those two uh, left-handed big league bats we traded in the off season? Oh yeah. We actually need to go out and get one in July. Again, let's go get David Peralta. Um And uh, again, I like David Peralta. I actually, you know, he, he did okay while he was with the Rays. He had two fifty five, three seventeen on base. He, he pretty much did what he's been doing you know, his, for, for the last couple of years of his career. And so I'm, I'm not like disappointed in the Peralta trade, but it feels like a trade that necessarily didn't have to be made. If you you know approach the offseason a little differently. So we'll do a, we'll do a larger kind of breakdown of this season and the flaws of this race team in a traditional podcast format. But I do want to get some of the listeners here. Uh, let's bring Sebastian Alvarez on. Um, Sebastian, you are live on the D-Rays Bay Playoff Podcast Series. What's going on?
3: Hi, dude. Yeah, I was hearing you guys on speculation on the offseason. Would there be – this might be a really heavy, risky take to make, but is there any speculations you guys would make on trading either Brandon Lau or Randy Rosarena?
0: Um, That's that's a great question, Sebastian. I think – the, the Rays will will obviously um, take a look at, at, at everything this offseason season. They, they do they do it every year. Brandon Lau is still on such a team friendly contract like when they locked him up after his first half season in the big leagues to a, it was a six-year deal um, that was huge and I don't think I, I told you'd have to get one hell of a return to entertain training Brandon Lau Randy Rosaraine on the other hand. It wouldn't shock me. Um, there's no real expectation that he's going to sign an extension here. He's a Boris client. I don't know if the Rays have ever signed a contract extension with any Boris client ever. Um, when when Brandon, when Blake Snell became a Boris client, he was shipped off like the next offseason. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if the Rays take this opportunity to sell high on a guy like a Rosarena. Um, Lau, though, I think – because, again, we talked about like, okay, who do you replace Brandon Lau with? Do you hope that Jonathan Aranda learns how to field a ground ball by spring training? I think the bat is good enough to be on a big league club, but Brandon Lau, like I believe, is, is our best hitter. So Ben, Brian, thoughts on a potential trade of a, a marquee player?
2: Um I think I think I'm the I think I'm the other way around from you, uh, Brett. Um it, I think I think I think it's possible both get traded. I think it's possible neither get traded, but if I'm leaning towards one. Um, I think Brandon Lau, I think, is more likely. Um, the only reason I say that is because uh, I, I believe a Rosarena has one more year before he's ARB one. Yeah. Um, so well, that's why. So there is a
0: chance he could be super two and get it this offseason, I think.
2: That's a good point. And I did not consider that until right now when you told me that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, Randy Rosarena, by and large, was the same player that he was last year. His – his base-running antics cost him, like, an entire win above replacement. Like, I'm looking at his fangraphs page right now. His this year and last year was pretty pretty much identical. Um, but last year is worth 3.8 wins, and this year here is worth 2.7 2. wins. And the majority of that, I think, comes a little bit from the defense, but I think that has mostly uh, – has to come from how many outs he made on the base passes. As, as far as, like, Brandon Lau, I think – I think – Team-friendly deals for Rays players, I think, make them just as likely to be traded as they are likely to be kept. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think with how hurt he was and when he was on the field, the results weren't quite there. So I think he's going to be tough to trade too. But uh, the, the thing with the Rays is that you just you just don't know what they're going to do.
0: Yeah, Brendan Lough's scheduled to make $5.25 million next year. $8.7 the following year, uh, and then it, he has a club option in 2025. He would make $10.5 and then um, another club option in 2026 where he'd make $11.5 if it's picked up. Um, so I, I, I guess you get to the point where in Brandon Long's age 30 and 31 season, the Rays might not be in a position where they want to pay him ten and a half, eleven and a half million $11.5 million. Um, so you really look at before that option only two years left of, of this deal before you get into those last last two seasons of it. Um, I just – I don't think they're <laughs> – I don't think you're going to get the offer that merits trading Brandon Lau. Maybe you don't get one for Randy Orzarena too because talking about his base running, um, you, I don't think what he did this year is predictive of what he'll do in the future because we saw him have a good base running season in, in 2021. And even though uh, – Yes, he made a lot of silly decisions this year. He's obviously got the athleticism at this point in his career to stretch, you know, singles into doubles, to steal bases, to, you know, find ways to score extra runs on top of what he does with the bat. So I, I don't know if, yeah, it cost him a win on, on fan graphs this year, but I think that's not necessarily a predictive metric for what he's going to do in the future. Um, I, and I, even if he's armed one, it's like, what's he going to make, $3 bucks next year? um if, like I don't, I don't even know because i can't imagine i don't know the last time a a, a player that's already won you know alcs mvp has had two 2020 seasons who was rookie of the year going into their first year of arbitration like i don't know what the comps are for that so i've no clue how much he's going to make um he's definitely not going to live out his entire years of team control with the rays unless he switches agents like i just don't see an extension being signed um ben do you have a take on this
1: Um, A little bit on Brandon Lau. Um, You know, he is on that really team-friendly deal. So that does, you know, make him probably somebody that a lot of teams would want. I mean, he has, I think I looked it up earlier. I'm pretty sure it was the ninth highest WRC plus of any second baseman ever with at least 1,500 plate appearances. So, like, he's really good, got a ton of value, team-friendly deal. But kind of like Brian said, I think that makes him – maybe just as equally likely to be traded because like i don't know the rays do like to sell high but if the price is right like if you get a really good package and it would take a really good package to get loud because of the deal and, and how productive and, and great he is
2: um they could
1: if they can get a haul that would be great but i don't think they're gonna trade him with the reasoning that like okay we're just gonna put a at second base now because he's major league ready like that's we literally just saw that happen this off season with like Meadows and and J Lo. So, yeah I, yeah, I think Brandon Lau's probably going to stick around. I don't really see him going anywhere. Pro- Randy probably sticks around too because again, like, unless you can get you know an MLB ready proven bat in return, I don't I don't really see him going anywhere. Um, I think we will have a big trade this off season. I feel like we always get kind of like one trade that makes everybody do a double take. So we'll see. And maybe Randy's part of that, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more pumped the brakes on trading MLB talent after this year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Um, let's get um, Michael Perchik on. Um, Michael, thanks for joining us. You're live on the D-Ray's Bay playoff podcast series. You there, Michael? All right. Well, we'll give him a second. Let's get, um, let's get Nate. Nate, welcome to the D Rays Bay Playoff the podcast series. What do you have for us?
3: Oh, me. Oh hey guys, I was just saying that um, regarding everything, I think it's almost a miracle that everything played out the way it was, considering just the vastness of their injury problems that plagued them this year. And I almost think that this offseason is a new way for them to reset and kind of just rescheduled, like or just reshuffle they want the way the one they want to build the roster, considering that Kiermaier's contract's off the books this year and Zanino's contract is coming off the books, or I'm pretty sure he's done. So I I view this off season. As as, yeah, it sucks with what happened with Cleveland, but they're in a position to where, like, where there's, like, this pass-off season, they, got, they went out and chased Freddie Freeman, that this year they could really chase something that really impacts their roster and the major league level, whether that be someone like, you know, Sean, Mur- Sean Murphy in Oakland or something like that, but I'd view this as, like, they've been kind of, like using this as like a uh, stepping stone years where it'd be last year with the young rotation. But like, I feel like this coming off season is the off season where they can really take a swing on something to like push them forward and everything.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's a great point. Nate, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for, for your, your comment. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't doubt that the Rays are going to chase top talent this off season. I do doubt that they're able to land it. Like we've seen them go after these big moves. They were, you know, very close to getting Chris Bryant and Craig Kimbrel last year at the trade deadline, and uh, last offseason, obviously, you know, came pretty close to getting Freddie Freeman or so we thought. Um, but what does it take to finally get across the finish line? Like there are no prizes for second place in free agency. You either sign a player or you don't. So there's a big free agent class. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. Um, who knows? Maybe they go after Aaron Judge, right? Um, but it wouldn't shock me to see them go after some some guys that are going to be making at least you know ten million a year next season, and, and try to bring someone like that in. Maybe uh, I mean Jose Abreu is getting older; he's going to be like I think age thirty six season next year. But that's more of a proven bat, and who knows? Evan Longoria is going to be a free agent. I don't think from the from the, the bring examples, him home, bring Evan home. That would be great, but I don't think from a, from the on, an on the field standpoint that really. Moves the needle and, and changes where you know we're at, but I mean, I any mean, yes, I think. And in, in Nate mentioned it, the injuries, right? That it was it was impressive that they that they got here, and I know they backed into the postseason, um, but you really didn't have Tyler Glass now this regular season. He only had two starts um, with a you know you didn't have Brandon Lau for most of the season. When he did have him, he wasn't quite himself. Wander Franco played half the year. Um, Shane Boz is now out for all of next year. We expected him to take a big jump up and you yeah, have dealt with a lot of injuries in the bullpen too. Um, so I think if you're a fully healthy team, you make a better run of the division. You saw as late as early September, the Rays were making a push for that division. And then they come, kind of completely fell apart in the month of September. Um, so yeah, maybe next year, if you just stay healthy, you put yourself in a better position to just win the division or you know get one of those those buys in the American League and not have to play this wild card round but it still doesn't solve the problems that plagued this team offensively this year so whether it be the free agent market or the trade market um i I think the rays have a lot of have work to do Um, do you want to keep some of these players that you can't count on day in day out offensively and continue to rely on defensive pitching which i've always defended the rays for doing that but i'm not saying these two games should be like the the mea culpa for the Rays, that, you, you know, you had two really bad games offensively. You need to, you know, change everything. Um, but over the season, like Brian said, it was a mediocre offense. I think they finished 99 WRC plus, so like right around average, which is good enough to make the playoffs if you got got elite pitching and defense. Uh, but the goal, I mean, my goal isn't to just make the playoffs. It's to, it's to win the World Series. So, uh, or at least that's my goal for the team. I don't know how the front office views it. I don't know how ownership views it. Maybe they don't mind just getting there every year. So, um, yeah, I mean, so, we'll go, so go ahead, Brian. yeah. So about yeah
2: about the offense, real quick. I think, uh, I yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about how this team got to where it was, or or to where to where it got to, considering um, considering all the injuries. I I would I would argue though that if you look at this lineup for the last two games, I mean, minus Brandon Lau, this is really the group of guys that the Rays brought in to, 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 to play, you know, this season where they're going to the playoffs with, I mean, like we had Paredes, we had Ramirez, we had Diaz, we had a Rosarena. We, you know, Choi was in there. Um, Jose Siri was in center field. We had minimal Margot back. So we, you know, I, I know like these, you know, maybe these guys were still a little bit banged up and uh, all these guys missed significant time, like throughout the year, except for Rosarena and Diaz. But like, these last two games and this last, like, you know, two weeks of September, like, we went into the playoffs with the group of guys that we wanted to have. You know, like I said, might as Brandon Lau, he was the only one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's – and I feel like the the more significant injuries were definitely on the pitching side and, you know, the, the way that we were able to just turn guys in and out – um, was really remarkable. so yeah, I mean, like I, I think there's a lot to say about how the team battled through injuries and progressed and got to the postseason considering everything that happened. Um, but I will st- I would still say that that doesn't mean that it doesn't doesn't absolve the front office from yeah uh, it, 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 it doesn't um, th- there's still some accountability to be had here is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think you could just keep saying, Uh, you know, it'll get better next year. Like, the Rays are close. Like, the Rays do have a good team. but The goal is to have a good team, it's to have a great team. And when you have, um, you know, you had four straight years with 90 wins. This year, you only win 86, but you go back to the postseason. The expectation should continue to stay where, okay, we want to get back to the World Series and we want to win one. Um, That's going to happen every year. That's unrealistic. But I don't think anyone was confident that the Rays – we're going to go on a deep postseason run. You think, okay, we get past Cleveland. I kind of liked how we would have matched up against New York and then see what you could do against the Astros, but it probably wasn't going to look good. And then test, test your chances against whoever it is that comes out of the National League because you've got the Dodgers looming over there, the Braves, the Mets, the Padres, the Cardinals, a lot of really good teams. So I don't think anyone was – it's not like last year where the expectation, I think, by a lot of Rays fans was to win the World Series – Um, but yeah, it's just, just, just disappointing how not even these two games went, but the month of September went and I know it felt like a lot of it was, okay, let's just stay healthy. There was no sense of urgency. There's no sense to try to gain any momentum. Pete Fairbanks and Jason Adam hadn't pitched at all in a week and a half and Fairbanks gets hurt as soon as he goes out there. And, um, Jason Adam, although he settled in and did really, really well, his first pitch was right in the back of Oscar Gonzalez. So. Those two guys coming in cold for their first postseason appearances didn't feel like a great idea, and so uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm a little frustrated, Ben. Ben, you unmuted yourself for a second. Do you have some bad? All right, ben might have stepped away for a second. Um, let's get. Let's try to get Michael back on as he is requested again. Michael, uh, let's see if we can get you uh, connected this time. Uh, what you got for us?
4: Y'all hearing me now? Yes. All right, so I mean, I think everything kind of broke right last year. Uh, you had Wander come up, and you know, outside the first couple of weeks, was really, really good. Randy uh, was obviously great. Uh, really, take out the Glass now injury. You had, uh, Lau had a great years, and Nino uh, had you know far and away his best years. Array. You had guys in the bullpen step up. This year felt like everything that could go wrong went wrong. It Was a lot more of a Murphy's law. The bullpen was banged up the entire year. Um, I, if I, I could be mistaken, I think every starting pitcher, uh, maybe besides Kluber was on the IL at some point outside Yandy and Randy, every hitter was banged up. I, I think the front office may have read into that a little bit, the trade deadline, not being more aggressive going out and trying to get an impact bat. Um, Peraza was a fine pickup. I'd make the trade again, even though he was largely a non-factor. Um, but I think they kind of may look the writing on the wall. They were hoping some of these injuries would dissipate. You'd get Harold and Mar- Margot back, uh, but losing Lau I think was kind of the final straw. Ultimately, heading the next year, and you guys have touched on it: too much reliance on young players uh, just can't happen again. I mean, Lau Walls Bruhan largely non-factors offensively. I know Walls has a good glove, but you know even some metrics don't love his glove. Uh, as much as I know, a lot of fans do. Um, Paredes was, you know, a really nice pickup. Uh, it was a bit of a feast and famine with him. I think Aranda's going to be better next year, but I don't know where you put him defensively. Um, I, I do wonder though if they made a move maybe for Christian Walker. Uh, you know, they obviously yeah. were speaking with Arizona, uh, but a guy like that, uh, power bat, really good um, defensive first baseman. I think it was a five plus WAR this year. Uh, on a team in a really tough division. Uh, He's 31, has a couple more years of arbitration, but that to me would have been a pickup that I think maybe puts this offense over the top. A legitimate difference maker, and I can't imagine the price going to be super high in a guy like that with Arizona looking to rebuild. Um, I I, I don't know. The the other thing I'd ask, um, with the midseason acquisitions, we saw last year with Cruz, we saw this year with Peralta, Guys adjusting to playing at the drop. Uh, we know that is not an easy part to play in for hitters. Some guys don't pick up the ball well. Uh, Damas had really noticeable home-away splits, and he's taken off as a hitter in Milwaukee. Um, some of it may be mental, but it does seem there's been a number of players who just don't hit all that well at the drop. I wonder if that's going to factor into decision-making for some of these big bat pickups, if you're going to be giving up top prospects. For half the season, if these guys don't have a lot of time to adjust,
0: Michael, I think I think you made a lot of a lot of great points there, and thank you for coming on and uh, for some of your time. Um, yeah, I think you look at last year, and a, a lot did go right, and you don't really have a hundred win season unless you're the Dodgers. Um, not many teams are, are good enough to win 100 games, right? You're, you you know, you want to get to around a 95 win quality team, and then things go your way and, and you win 100. Uh, the Dodgers, I think, are in a different stratosphere, but um, and the Rays won exactly 100 last year. But you had career years from like like Michael said, you know Brandon, Ah, Mike Zanino. Uh, to expect that again this year, and even if they were healthy, um, was probably a little short sighted. Um, the reliance on young talent. Um, and, and this is a this is a good team this year, too. Things broke poorly, and you go from 90-plus wins down to 86. Uh, and and so I, I don't know. Obviously, clearly this team was worse than last year's team, but it wasn't like like miles worse, right? I think they were a decent team. They're a good enough team to make the postseason. Uh, I know, speaking on Christian Walker, I know there was um, some interest there with Arizona and, and discussion. I know the Rays were going after right-handed bats. I don't know how far anything got, but uh, it, it wouldn't shock me to see them pursue him again. Um, at, at this point, he seems like, yeah, a bat where maybe you will have to pay up because he had such a good season at the plate, but it, it, he's a gettable guy, right? You know, made probably more gettable than some of the big fish that you've chased in the past. And age 31, you imagine as a first baseman, he's still got a, a few years left of, of good offensive production. And it would make sense to go out and, and get a guy like that. And like we've talked about, a proven major league player. Uh, you're not banking on him. You're not, you know, gambling. This isn't a long-term investment. It's let's bring a guy in that, that can hit. And he's a first baseman. So you're not taking that hit that you would on defense, right? We talked about Jonathan Aranda. Yeah, Michael, where do we put him? I got no clue. Maybe if G Montroy leaves this offseason, you work out Aranda at first base and see if that works out. I don't really love having a guy that's just a DH on the roster. I think that's a terrible use of a roster spot, um, but it wouldn't shock me if that's where Aranda gets most of his plate appearances. But if he could play first or maybe figure out something at second or right field or wherever, maybe you do need to take the hit defensively just to produce some more runs. Not to go crazy, not to overhaul everything, um, but to be that reliant on pitching and defense. Yeah, it was great. Our pitching and defense was great in the postseason, right? You held him to just three runs in 24 innings, you were lights out. But he only scored one. So uh, disappointing, disappointing. Um, I want to get a couple more people on here. Um, K- Kevin Cash, Burner, um, you, you're live on, on our Twitter spaces. What's up? Are you, are you there, Kevin Cash's Burner?
2: Yeah, sorry. Oh, just fleshed out. There. I just want to know if you guys have any idea about uh, the Rays uh, developmental. Uh, methods with their hitters because it seemed like outside of wander who was already a really great hitter from a young age uh our hitters that have uh our prospects that have grown up and joined the major leagues have not been hitting well so do you guys know like if the race do anything differently than other organizations regarding uh like minor league hitting philosophy and how that may
0: might not transfer well into the major leagues that, that is that is a great question, and, and thanks for coming on today. But I, I, Ben, Brian, I don't know if you guys have something on this. I, I really don't know. I know, yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point that our homegrown guys really haven't developed, and it's been a while since we had one come up other than Wander Franco, who was kind of a, you know, a phenomenon, right? So, Ben, you, you might be able to add a little bit more to this. Uh,
1: I know a little bit about that side of things. And, I mean, first of all, rookies and, and young players really aren't that good um, and it's, it's been a while since they've really invested heavily I think in the draft and in, in hitters like they've usually been pretty pitcher heavy um, in recent years you know they went out and got Manzardo in the second round um, you know Meade is still working his way up so they have guys that are you know cooking in the minors right now but it's not like they went out and signed Brujan uh, for his bat or anything like that he was what like a $15,000 signee from Wherever, like he he wasn't yeah. like a highly touted guy. Like they don't Taylor Walls even like he wasn't drafted for his hit tool. Um, in what the third round I think from mm. FSU. Like he was drafted for his glove and, and for his you know plate discipline, but it, his hit tool is is showing. Like you know it's not great, so it's pretty hard to you know completely reinvent yourself once you join an organization. Um, Josh Lowe has gotten better but I mean again he they drafted him as like a a speedy defensive center field outfield guy so I I think they will get some young guys that come up and and hit better in the in the near future because they do have a lot of you know high-end prospects down there and they consistently have good farm systems but for a long time they were you know pretty focused on on pitching and they tried to like double dip with Brendan McKay and we saw how that worked so I think they're just going to maybe. I don't think they do anything differently developmentally. Basically, is what I'm saying. I think it's just an emphasis, um, and we're going to see how it works out in the future with all the middle infield um, athlete guys that they got. Because I know Carson Williams is one that can that can definitely hit, but he's like you know four or five years away. So. I
0: I, th- I think there has been a slight change in the the yeah. scout from a scouting standpoint, like you mentioned, Manzardo – um, Xavier Isaac, their first round draft pick, who, which I thought was a was a pretty bad pick, if I'm being honest. But the guy, you know, they're hoping they, they think he can really hit. Um, Harberto Hernandez put up another really good season at High A this year. Um, he's going to his age 23 season next year. Imagine he'll be a Double A to start the year. Um, guys that were they don't really have a position yet. Um, but you're you're banking on the bat. I haven't checked to see how Xavier Isaac did in the complex league this year. It looks like. He only had 21 plate appearances, so I won't draw any conclusions from that. Um, but there has been a, 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 at least a slight shift. Um, you've still got your glove first guys all throughout the system um, that I think the Rays really like, but they're at least trying to to, to bring hitters. Because, I mean, the last homegrown, besides Juan Franco, the last homegrown hitter that, that's come up and proven himself is Brandon Lau, really, unless I'm, I'm forgetting someone, but... It's hard it's hard to you know project who's going to come up at the big league level when you sign a guy at 16 or you draft a guy at 18 or 21 and, and figure out who's going to be able to hit in the big leagues and so maybe the Rays' approach has just been let's go out and get guys who we've seen tastes of at the big league level right you got Yanni Diaz after he had a couple of underwhelming seasons in Cleveland you got Paredes after he had a terrible start to his big league career in Detroit but they the Rays saw something that they could just tweak a little bit in, in Yanni Diaz is you know, they mentioned it on the broadcast today, one of six qualified hitters in the big leagues with a 400 OBP. And the, like the other five guys are either surefire first ballot Hall of Famers that were on that trajectory. Um, so, I yeah, it's, it's hard to develop to big league hitters. Um, Brian, anything to add on that one and, and how the Rays kind of approach things offensively?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I can't really speak to the draft or like how they've been developing guys in the minor leagues. Is just because I don't follow that as much and it's not really my forte. But I would say that like if you look at the trades that the Rays have been making, especially for like younger hitters, I think Jose Siri might be the only exception here because there's a lot of swing and miss in his in his game. But I think like Yandy Diaz, uh, Manuel Margot, and even like Paredes and Ramirez to an extent. Um, mm-hmm. They're like low strikeout, high bat to ball guys. That maybe the Rays are just trying to figure out how they can get a little bit more out of. I think um I think Yanni Diaz is like low key like a borderline star just because of how much he can uh he can walk. I wrote I wrote for uh, baseball prospectus. I did the the preview for game 1 and I wrote that uh Yanni Diaz has Walk to strikeout ratioed his way into being like one of the best third basemen in baseball. Um, but yeah, I think I think that they're trying to hopefully get those other guys on a track, maybe not quite to be like Yandy Diaz, but like can they control the zone a little bit more? Um, can they kind of look for their the, the pitches that they can produce optimal outcomes on? Uh, things like that. So that's that's kind of what I see as far as like the guys that they're bringing in. Um, again, I, I, I know a lot less about what they're doing developmentally in the minor leagues or, or or what they're drafting, but that's kind of the trend I see when they
0: trade for these younger guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've got three more people in the queue. Um, let's go to Jacob Statman. Jacob, uh, you're live. What's going on? Can you hear us, Jacob? All right, we'll we'll give him a second. Let's get to, uh, let's get to Emmanuel. Emmanuel, what you got for us? All right. Oh, yep. Yeah. Maybe here comes Jacob. Jacob, what's up? Uh, uh, sorry. Can you guys hear me? All right, here's Emmanuel. All right, Emmanuel, what you got? All right,
5: cool. Um, yeah, what's up, guys? Um, I there. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot to unpack, you know, but uh. Long story short, I have no idea at this point. You know, I, I'm i with you guys on, you know, focusing on the future and seeing what the developmental team brings us in the up-and-coming years and uh, in this offseason. But as far as analyzing this game right now, and not just this game, but even to yesterday, just like you guys were saying, you know, like the exception being Jose Siri, that's the one that strikes out the most and whatnot. And But he's great uh, defensively. He's the one that put up the only run in this whole series. Hell, let alone even the only hit in this whole series. Um, that mattered, at least. <laughs> so it's kind of ironic. And, uh, you know, it's it's daunting to think about that the least person that you think to do the damage is the person that does the damage. And I think on a lot of areas... Like you guys were saying, Yandi Diaz is arguably one of the best third basemen in baseball right now, as, as far as, you know, strikeout-to-chase and walk ratios. But does it transfer over to the postseason? We saw that in the, the World Series run with Brandon Lau, right? Uh, Brandon Lau was huge for us that whole year. But in the postseason, it was kind of crazy to see that his bat wasn't working the same way that it did in the regular season. And instead Randy Rosereno was a one guy that stepped up and he's the one that put up all those at bats. And Austin Meadows had those uh at bats, those lengthy at bats that helped us win as well. So it's the it's it's kind of ironic to me that with this team it's the people that you expected the least to make the most damage. Mm-hmm. And when you need people to step up, Guander like Franco, rosarino Jandy Diaz, uh, Harold Ramirez, um, you know, obviously we don't got Zunino, we don't have Lao <clears throat> um, in in those areas, they don't. And is there a problem in that? Is it the hitting coach? Is it because at this point, Yandi is probably the only one that has played discipline as far as today's and yesterday's game went. I don't know if you guys saw how many O fours there were, but there was a lot of overs, a lot of O fours, over threes, and. It was, everybody was getting trigger happy, like if we were winning 9-0. to <laughs> And to me, it was just insane. It was insane to me because you know, like a pitcher like Shane Bieber, you know he's going down in the way. And he still keeps going. You know Tristan McKenzie from your two previous at-bats. He's been striking you out on the top with a fastball. And you're still going for that. So the the only person that seems to have played discipline here is Yandy Diaz. So it, it seems like a solely responsible thing that he's taken upon himself to, you know, teach himself, better himself. But as far as everybody else, if I don't know if... I mean, I got no clue who's putting in overtime at BP, uh, in the personal time, wherever I got. I have no clue, but I just think it's, it's, you know, what if the developmental process is so amazing, kind of like it was with Wander Franco, you know, um, amazing guy, kid even. He's barely 21, But what if even all of those kids that we get, like Jonathan Ronda and uh, Josh Lau, um, Vidal Ruhan, all of those guys, if they are down with the same, you know, premise of this hitting coach, which is my theory, because why else would you not have play discipline? um, It doesn't matter who we get, because at the end of the day, whoever's teaching you, if they're teaching you the way that they've been teaching the prior people, are we really going to go that far? So that's... That's that's my that's my conspiracy theory.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you bring you bring up a lot of great points, Emmanuel, and thanks sir, for for um, for joining us today. Um, what what I'll say, I uh, Yanni, like last year, expectations were a lot higher. You had four really tough games. This year, even though it was only two games, it just felt like they had no chance of getting a hit. It it it. It was hard to get excited when you got out of a jam or got three big outs, and especially as we got later in the game. So there was just no confidence that even anybody would run into one. And after your changes, you had Vidal Brujan, Taylor Walls, Manuel Margot, Francisco Mejia. Like, after you got through those first four hitters, it's not like I had any confidence in Harold Ramirez this series either. Um, there was there was nobody. And, again, part of that's injuries. No Brandon Loud, no You know The lineup wasn't stretched. But you started the game. With Troy, Paredes, Margot, and Bethencourt. Um, I know those changes were, were made. I'm not questioning those changes except for the Taylor Walls when I thought Bruhan running for Troy was a good move. Um, yeah, I, I think last year was more of an anomaly. This year's team was never really built to hit. And not, not, not even in the postseason, but they weren't really hitting that well in the regular season. If the goal was to be league average, then, then yeah, mission accomplished. Uh, but that should not that should not be the goal. Not for a team that has aspirations like the Rays should have. Um, Brian Ben, anything to add?
1: Uh, yeah, just to to touch on that, I think. I mean, we can't really say like, oh, all these guys can't hit in the postseason after they played. I mean, it, granted, it was two long games, but it was, like, two games. Um, it's an extremely small sample size, and they're independent from year to year. So, you know, I, I'm not going to talk too much about Brandon Lau's stuff because that is, like, a mental thing at, at some point. Like, there, there's definitely, like, a point where it's, you know, it's not just bad luck or whatever. It's it's mental for sure. But it's it's just really unfortunate, like – like um, like Brett said, it was a league average offense. They had a 99 or 100 WRC plus like the whole season. They went out and laid an egg twice um, in two postseason games. The Guardians offense looked just as bad. They just happened to have um, a ground ball single ahead of one of their home runs and that ended up making a pretty big difference. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people like to praise the, the Guardians. They have the, the fun, contact-heavy offense, but You know, you look at what they've been doing, and this is by design from two games in a row from the Guardians where, like, they're putting the ball in play, but against good pitching staffs and and good defense, like we saw with the Rays this series, like, it doesn't, you know, it's not that great, but if you're playing the White Sox, the Tigers, and the the Royals for 50 games, like, yeah, maybe it's going to look a bit better. So I don't really think it's, like, a problem with the Rays' approach or individual players necessarily. I mean, their offense just wasn't great this year. Um, and they, you know, obviously didn't make adjustments today like we saw, but it's, it's two games. Eventually this stuff would even out in the long run. I think the Rays would be better in a seven game series, but you don't get a seven game series in the in the wild card round. So it's unfortunate. Kind of hoped Randy would do something. Um, because of what he did last year. But we know now that – or we've known that, you know, the production from postseason to postseason, it varies a lot. And it doesn't – just because you do well one postseason doesn't mean you're going to do well the next one. So, pretty random, small series, unfortunate. Um, and that's how I'm going to cope
2: with it. Yeah, so um, by uh, by weighted on base, I looked this up uh, a few days ago, the, the Rays and Guardians were the two worst offenses – um, in the entire playoff field, yeah. um, and I, I think, and I think, in a, in a, to to go back to uh, the points that Emmanuel was making, we we did talk about like at the, at the top of the the podcast or the the space here that um, the, the the lack of approach was heavily exploited by the Guardians' pitching, um, but but I but I will I will say that though that like for at least at least the major league development i i would say that i mean yeah it hasn't translated into the playoffs and you know to ben's point that's not really predictive of anything but in the regular season at least like yeah the offense as a whole took a step back but if you if you think about like the guys that we've you know brought in you know manuel margot wasn't really close to a league average hitter now he's at least a little bit closer to a league average hitter you know Yandi diaz is is what he is now um these guys like uh Paredes had a, uh, Paredes had a 116 WRC plus this year, Harold Ramirez, 120. These, these were guys that were brought in with very, very limited major league samples and were, you know, above average, com- you know, contributors for an entire season on, on a playoff team. So I, I don't, I don't think we can say that like the major league approach is not working. I don't think we should absolve the hitting coaching staff of all accountability either. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that there's – I think there is a case to be made that, like, we maybe were relying on these guys to take too many important bats too soon. And that kind of reared its ugly head here in these last two games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure – I'm not sure if I'm on board with the idea that um, the entire hitting approach at the major league level needs, needs to change. Uh, that, that might be a hot take, but –
0: I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, and, and I'm sure all of our viewpoints will kind of change as we get further removed from um, this series, which was obviously disappointing. Um, I want to get try to get back to Jacob Statman. Um, we couldn't connect with him earlier, uh, but Jacob, you're back. Can you hear me? Yep.
6: Um, I think definitely hats off to the pitching staff. now come back, throw five shot at innings was huge. Shane McClanahan. That guy you have to, have to, have to, have to. Priority one, extend him this offseason. Having McClanahan and Glasnow, it's a two-headed monster. It's only going to be success for at least the next two years we have Glasnow on contract. Um, I think the offense, I think it's going to, I mean, I don't want like, it was awful, but I think it's going to figure itself out. The scariest part, I think, this year was that Like, it was always one person carrying the offense, whereas last year when they won 100 games, it was more of like everybody was picking each other up. And we saw throughout the year that one guy was hot and just one guy wasn't hot at the end of the year. I think a big spot to fill the void um, is probably first base. I don't know what the answer is, whether it's Kyle Manzardo. Um, I think G-Man's time with the Rays is probably coming to an end. He's a great love G-Man. But I think that's a big spot, and maybe picking up another outfield left-handed bat, whether that be Jock Peterson, be more of a one-year deal, raise, typical deal, or trade for somebody unknown, and then keep doing the thing with the bullpen, finding these no-name guys and making them into absolute studs. Jacob,
0: I mean, first off, thank you for, for coming on. And you make an absolutely great point. Leaving this weekend, if you can be positive about about anything, and it's hard, I know it, but this pitching staff going into next year, glass now on that extension where you don't really have to worry about him being traded this offseason. I know anything can happen, but it, it would be really out of character for this team to sign him to an offseason last month and then deal him. A healthy Shane McClanahan. You are without Shane Boz, uh, but you do have Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs. I, I doubt Corey Kluber comes comes back, but you never know. You've got Yanni Chirinos, um, a couple other young guys. Maybe Taj Bradley gets closer to making his debut. The bullpen looks great as ever. Uh, I mean, I'm really excited about Glasnow looking as good as he did. Pete Fairbanks looking as good as he did when he came back from injury. We'll see what was up with him um, now. But, Brian, I I know you're the pitching guy. I mean, how how excited are you about about the staff moving forward?
2: Yeah, I want to talk a second about Tyler Glasnow and how, like – I I think it can't be overstated how good he looked today in his third start, coming back from Tommy John surgery. Like, if you think about pitchers, like raised pitchers historically, especially starters who have come back from Tommy John surgery, it's taken them a while to kind of really get their footing and even like look like you know half of their old selves. If you think about like Matt Moore, was never really the same um alex kava took about half a season like he wasn't good until like the following season so for tyler glasnow to you know miss a significant amount of time i know he got like the internal race thing or whatever that was um but for him to come back in his third third start in a playoff game an elimination game at that i mean even that even a healthy tyler glasnow probably isn't going much longer than five innings um but for him to do what he did today, I mean, it, it can it can't be overstated how just dominant um, he was as far as the rest of the pitching staff. Um, I think Shane McClanahan, as great as he was in the first half and even how great as he was in uh, game one, I think he has I think he has a little bit of work to do this offseason. The second half he wasn't really the same pitcher. I wrote about him on baseball prospectus about how his release point um, relative to his pitch shapes, make him so unique and I, I won't get too into the weeds there, but in the second half his he kind of lost his release point a little bit. Um, so that's why he wasn't striking out as many guys. Uh, his pitch shapes were a little bit different because of it. Um, and I think that could be just be because, you know, we he spent some time in the Angeles too with the shoulder impingement. I, I think a lot of that had to do like with it just being a long season and his, his body probably just couldn't keep doing the things that it was doing in, in the first half. Um, so hopefully he can kind of figure that out and reset and come back into next season and be as good as he was uh, this season. Um, Jeffrey Springs, not really much I can say there. He's just been absolutely wonderful. I, I loved the trade when they acquired him. Um, I, I knew exactly what was going to make him good. Um, I did. I never expected him to become a starter and still be as good. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot to like about Jeffrey Springs. Um, and then Drew Rasmussen, man, he's, he's, he's been really good too. Um, I, I still can't quite figure him out. He's kind of an enigma for me just because the stuff doesn't match like, uh, the peripherals for me, but when the results are there, the results are there and I'm not going to question it. Um, and yeah, to your point, uh, Fairbanks, Jason Adam, um, you know, Jason Beeks, whenever he was healthy, he was really good. Garrett Clevenger, I hope he's on the team next year. Um, my hot take, I said this in the slack, Brett, but I'll, I'll say it publicly. Um, I think if Sean Armstrong is on the team next year, he becomes a starter. Uh, I, I really like what he's done. He's shown that he can pitch multiple innings. He has started a few times. One of the times, of course, was out of necessity. Um, but I really like what I've seen from Sean Armstrong, not just today, but um, over, the, over the whole season. He, his, uh, he's, he's been a lot better
0: than his 430 ERA. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um... We'll see about the starter take, but hey, I mean, Drew Rassus and Jeffrey Springs, it worked for both of them. I don't think the Rays are going to stop trying to take guys that they they believe in and try to stretch them out a little bit longer and really continue to blur the lines between what a starter and a, what a reliever is. Um, I, we've got two more people in the queue. I want to get to you guys real quick before we wrap this up. I know um, it's gone on because we will do a podcast where we kind of break down um, the season into into some more detail, but uh, we've had a lot of great discussion today. Let's get to uh, let's get to Brett Schaefer. Brett, what's going on? Hi, yeah,. You there, yep. uh, yeah,
7: That's I just awesome. wanted I just wanted to talk about yonder's base running blunder there. Um, I just thought that was a really key play, and i I don't understand why, first of all, we didn't steal him before that. I was just I was dumbfounded there because we can't, you know, Get back to back to back singles all day, so why don't we take a risk and you know try to steal them there? Then, you know it's a little nubber to second, and there's there's no reason for him to really like freeze and go back to first base. Like all he has to do is just freeze and stop and make him run up to him and tag him. Maybe he gets on the ground and makes and then makes the tag harder. There's no way, you know. Worst case scenario, you know they tag Wander there and you know we're safe at first base, but. For him to, to stop and then go back and then get doubled back up at second was just a huge base running mistake. And I just, that's just something that surprised me because, you know, Wander's like, you know, supposed to be our phenom He's supposed to be the guy that makes all the big plays and instincts should be top notch. And to me, that was just kind of a huge blunder. I don't know if you guys saw it the same way.
0: I, I, I do agree with you, Brett, to, to an extent there. I like the decision to stop and even to go back a step or two to make Jimenez really think about what he wants to do in that situation. From, from what I saw, and there wasn't a super clear camera angle, is that when that throw was made and Jimenez committed to, to just getting me out at first, Wander either didn't take off to second right away, like it was a, like a mental gap or something, or he just wasn't fast enough. Whether that be because he's still dealing with with some stuff with his legs, we he had two leg injuries this year. Maybe he doesn't have that ability to turn quickly. Um, I, I I think as Rays fans, there there is a reason. And as the Rays, like organizationally, there's a reason to be concerned with Wander's health. The hamate bone, not so much. Like, like that'll heal, that'll get better. Um, but the leg injuries he had this year, the concerns about him playing on turf. Well, and unless and, and the Rays get a new outdoor stadium, he's going to be you know have to play half of his games on turf. Um, for, for the length of this contract. Um, so, yeah, I like the decision. Like I think it was a great move to stop and t- try to force him and ask to do something. Um, but, yeah, I, I wasn't exactly sure how you could still get doubled up there because at the end of the day, he really didn't do anything. You know, it, it would have been a double play either way. Um, so it, it was frustrating, but there was a lot of frustrating things. Like, I don't want to put it too much on Wander. But, um, yeah, I, I think a, a number of key things where – Margot beats out that double, or not double play, but that great play that Ramirez made down the third base line to throw him out, and Josh Naylor with the pick. It felt like Margot should have been safe there. It felt like Wander should have been safe at second. And ultimately, yeah, we just didn't string together hits, and or really get any extra base hits. Um, I liked to I saw out of on the bases at the plate today, but everybody else really struggled. Um, let's hit the bill real quick, and once again, thanks, Brad. That was a great, that was a great uh, point to bring up and kind of break down that play a little bit more. But let's add Bill. Um, Bill, what's going on? You're our last caller here on the D-Rays Bay Playoff Podcast Series. What you got for us?
8: Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for, for letting me come on here. Yeah, I'm a huge Rays fan. I've uh, been watching since 08. But this one really stung. Uh, 2020, the team was, you know, we didn't really have much respect. They really wanted to go after it. You know, we almost, we almost did it. Uh, 2021 came back, had Wander Franco. He was a monster. This year it seemed – since that one series with the Yankees and I'll go back to September 9th, uh, that series, we were one and a half games away from taking, I mean, we were right on the heels of the Yankees. And then after that, 10 days later, Yandy Diaz and uh, who was Rosarena had their, had their little scuffle. And since then, everybody's been kind of banged up. They've kind of been just not really on it. We get to this series and there was just no energy, no energy through the whole team. You could see it today. Um, it was just sad to see. I think we're going to be fine over the next couple of years. Definitely need to get a first baseman. We don't have that. Um, but overall, I think the team's fine. Like our pitching, I mean, we have studs out there. And and you look at the last five World Series. I mean, look, Atlanta won. They had almost all of our players. You look at before that, you're looking at all the Astros. They have all of our management. You look. at I mean, every single team. The Dodgers, who won in 2020, have our management. So, like, the Rays' way is slowly making it through baseball. I think we, once we get a new owner, hopefully, if that even happens um, and just inject a little bit of money, we, we, we could literally win every year because our, our way is the way of baseball. We'll, we'll be back next year. But yeah, I just think that there was some scuffles in the clubhouse and everybody was kind of hurt. And, and I just kind of want to get your opinion on that.
0: Um, I uh, Bill, I think you bring up a lot of great points. Thank you for, for, for chiming in there. Um, I, I, the ownership, I don't think that I don't think there's going to be a change there anytime soon. I would like to see a little bit more investment where, you know, maybe we do what it takes to get a Freeman. If we were that close, like they, the Rays are known for having very hard valuations of players sticking to it. Um, but I would like to see us. – has got to be the right player. Freddie Freeman would have been the right decision. I mean, he's you know an MVP candidate in the National League you know just doing whatever it takes maybe he never intended to sign with the Rays maybe he was always Dodgers or Braves and the Rays were in there to drive drive the price up Um, that's something the Rays need to evaluate too like if we're going to go in for these players we we really need to go in for these players um but I agree that I I have no I'm not worried about this team missing the postseason next year especially in in the expanded field. um but I do think there does need to be a couple of changes um but yeah thanks thanks Bill and uh Thank you to everybody who's chimed in. Brian, Ben, anything you guys want to add close the show out with? Uh, I'm all good. This was fun. It was a lot of fun. Well, the game yeah, this was awesome. All, it's good to kind of decompress for a little bit. Right. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> ben, what you got, man? Yeah, no, this is fun. Uh, I I
1: totally, honestly didn't know you were doing this, so it was cool. Thanks for letting me come on and, and just say words and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, this team's looking great. Um, I think you know the the next couple of years are going to be fun. Just get into the postseason and see what can happen every year. I think that's that's what they're aiming for. And four years in a row now, they've been successful at it. So maybe next year is the is the year where they win it all.
0: Yeah. yeah well, thanks, thanks, Ben. Yeah, I saw you in there when you popped in. I was like, oh, I'm going to try to rope him into this. And I think we've been going for maybe over an hour now. I don't know. kind of <laughs> the time. It's um, all good. Year. Um, that's going to do it for our d Bay Playoff Podcast Series. This is you know, our last instant reaction <laughs> episode of the year. We'll probably do one more kind of recap, or that might be a raise, raise your voice where we take a look ahead to the offseason and uh, what should be another busy offseason. There's plenty of, there's a roster crunch. A lot of guys that need to be added to the 40 man and uh, probably going to be some departures at the big league level um, from some guys that have been here for, for a few years now. So uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in. Thank you to those of you that, that joined and, kind of gave your insight or threw in a question. I really like these Twitter spaces. We had a goal to do these more during the regular season. We did one on opening day. Um, maybe we'll bring that back next year, but I think this is a really good format for, for our playoff podcast here. Hopefully the Rays will get back for a fifth straight season next year, and we can, we can do it all over again, but hopefully uh, for a little bit longer. So if you missed any of this conversation, you want to go back and listen to it, it will be available as a podcast on the d Race Bay Podcast Network. As always, head over to draisebay.com. There's going to be a ton of great off-season coverage. Sometimes that's when we do our best work looking at how...